0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. God wants us to do more than simply survive Satan's attacks against us. He's actually calling upon us to get up and to start moving offensively against Satan. Very simply, God wants you to be a part of his force that is going to overthrow the kingdom of the evil one.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. At times, do you feel like you're fighting a daily battle against your boss, or maybe your teen, or that stack of unpaid bills? Well, there really is a war going on, but it's much, much bigger than you could ever imagine. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how the shield of faith can protect us during spiritual battle. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory. As we begin today,
0: I want to encourage you with some great news, and that is we are finally ready to host our Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel next April 25th through May 5th. We'll visit some of the key sites in Israel related to the second coming of Jesus Christ, including the plain of Megiddo, where the final battle of Armageddon will be fought. We'll stand on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is going to return literally one day. And we'll have communion in front of the empty tomb, where Jesus forever conquered death would love for you to go with us. To find out more, go to ptv.org. And if you register before September 30th, you can take advantage of the early bird discount. In this season of global unrest, chances are you felt a wave of uncertainty and fear about the future. You see, our minds are like Satan's playground. And as we face the realities of our day, Satan is quick to start filling our thoughts with dangerous thoughts and even deceptions. Well, I've written a best-selling book called The Divine Defense. It's based on the spiritual armor described in Ephesians chapter 6. Satan wants nothing more than to see you live in fear and turn away from God. And my book, The Divine Defense, will show you how to protect yourself against Satan's attacks by using the spiritual weapons at your disposal. To get your copy of The Divine Defense, all you have to do is contact us at ptv.org. And with your generous gift, we'll be happy happy to send you this book as a way of saying thank you for supporting our ministry. Now, it's time to get started with today's study. For the past few weeks, we've been learning how to defend ourselves against Satan's attacks. But now it's time to turn the tables and take an offensive position. I've titled today's message, Storming the Gates of Hell. One of the truisms of football is also applicable to warfare. And that is the best defense is a good offense. You know, when a soldier hears the bullets zinging or the bombs bursting overhead, his first instinct is to drop to the ground, to look for cover, to try to protect himself. And while such a response is natural, it's not enough. Eventually, the soldier has to stand back up dust himself off, and start moving forward against the enemy if he's going to win the battle. That principle also applies to spiritual warfare. You know, in our battle against Satan, it's not enough to try to protect ourselves from the enemy's attack. It's not enough to just hunker down and hope somehow either we or our family survives the attacks of the evil one. God wants us to do more than simply survive Satan's attacks against us. He's actually calling upon us to get up and to start moving offensively against Satan. Very simply, God wants you to be a part of his force that is going to overthrow the kingdom of the evil one. In fact, he says that very clearly in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Remember Jesus' words to Peter and some of the apostles? The Lord was taking a, an opinion survey. He said, who are people saying that I am? And the apostles gave various opinions, where some people say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. And they said, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, bingo, that's in the Greek text, bingo. <laughs> He said, that's right. And upon this rock, Peter, upon this confession of faith that you've made, I will build my church. Can you recite the rest of it? And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God is calling you and me to do more than just survive Satan's attacks in our life. He wants us to be a part of the offense against Satan. He wants us to be a part of the overthrow of his kingdom. Now, when I talk about, offensive Christianity, being on the offense rather than the defense, I need to clarify what I mean and I don't mean. When I talk about being on the offense, doing battle against Satan, I'm not talking about binding the power of Satan. Have you ever heard Christians talk about that? We're going to bind Satan's power. There's nowhere in the scripture where we're told that we can or even should try to bind the power of Satan. That's something we cannot do. When I'm talking about offensive Christianity, here's the definition. Offensive Christianity simply means moving forward in the plan that God has for your life. Moving forward rather than stopping or retreating in the plan that God has for your life. When we move forward in that plan that God has for us, it causes the enemy to go into a retreat. And that's what I mean by offensive Christianity. It means moving forward forward in the plan that God has for your life. Now, every time you make a step forward, that represents a nail in the enemy's coffin. So don't be surprised when he doesn't start bombarding you with discouragement, with doubt, with deception to try to get you to stop or retreat in that plan. How can we keep moving forward in the plan that God has for us? That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. God has given us some armor, some spiritual weapons to help us move forward against the evil one. Now, we've talked about three of them already. We've talked about um, the, uh, the, the belt of truth. Paul said, first of all, put on the belt of truth. Remember that strategy? Recognize destructive thoughts and replace them with God's thoughts. And then he talks about put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's talking about obedience there. He says, do the thing you know you should do. Do what God has commanded you to do. That will protect you from the evil one. And then we've looked several weeks at the boots. Put on the right spiritual boots. The preparation of the gospel of peace. That strategy is make God's business your business. Now, when we get to verse 16, we're going to find three more pieces of armor that are especially helpful as we move forward offensively against the enemy, as we follow God's plan for our life. And the first piece of armor we're going to look at today is the shield of faith. Look at verse 16, Ephesians 6, 16. Paul says, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What does he mean, the shield of faith? Now, Paul's audience understood exactly what he meant by the shield. In Paul's day, the Romans had their own shield. And their shield was a piece of wood that was four and a half feet tall and two feet wide, and it was covered in water-soaked leather. say, water-soaked leather, why would you cover a shield in that? Because when the Roman soldier started marching toward the enemy, the enemy would take his arrow, and the tip of that arrow would be dipped in pitch and then set on fire. And the enemy would shoot that flaming missile, that arrow, at the Roman soldier. And when that Roman soldier saw the flaming arrow coming toward him, what did he do? He simply lifted up his shield, and when that flaming arrow tip hit the water-soaked leather, it would be extinguished immediately. Now, that's the imagery Paul is using here. He said, when you're advancing in the plan God has toward you, don't be surprised when the attacks come much more intently and much more frequently. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, one way you know you're in the center of God's will is when those attacks start coming. When those attacks start coming, you can know you're headed down the path God has for you. Same thing uh, true for a church. Satan doesn't attack a church that's not doing anything. It's when a church starts making progress in the plan that God has for it that those attacks come. Those attacks can include the flaming arrows of discouragement or deception or distraction. And Paul says whenever you face those attacks, what you need to do is hold up the shield of what? Faith. What does Paul mean when he says we need to hold up faith? What is faith? There is so much misunderstanding in the Christian world today about what faith is. Let me tell you what most people believe faith is. They believe faith is believing that God will do what I want Him to do. That's what they believe faith is. Faith is God will do what I want Him to do. And if I can just believe intently enough, if I can conjure up this positive thinking emotion of faith, God will do what I want Him to do, then God will do it. I mean, if I believe hard enough that God will give me the promotion, then I'll get the promotion. If I believe intently enough that God will heal my sickness, then God will heal my sickness. If I believe strongly enough that God will heal my marriage, then he'll save my marriage. That is not what faith is. Faith is not believing God will do what we want him to do. You want to know what real faith is? Glad you asked. Turn to Hebrews 11 verse 1. Here is the definition of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1. The writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Will you notice in this verse, nowhere is faith equated with hope, wish, or desire. The word is hope is used in the verse, but that's not what is equated with faith. The Bible says faith is the assurance, underline that, assurance of things hoped for. It is the what? Conviction of things not seen. Faith is an assurance. It is a conviction. Now, here's the definition of faith. Write it down. Faith is believing that God will do what he's promised to do and acting accordingly. When we move forward in the plan that God has for our life, what we're saying is, God, I believe you're going to do what you've promised me you're going to do, and I'm going to act accordingly. Now, don't be surprised when you start moving forward in the plan God has for you that that's when those arrows start zinging at you. Doubt, discouragement, deception. How do you respond when those flaming arrows come your way? You know, one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of someone who took up the shield of faith is the character of Job in the Old Testament. Remember Job? He was a man who loved God. He obeyed God. He followed God, but that did not exempt him from periods of intense suffering. Remember what could have been a 24-hour period. Job lost his 10 children in a freak storm. And not only that, he lost all of his possessions. And not only that, he lost his health. He experienced Satan's flaming arrows that were launched against him. And yet, how did Job respond? He believed what God had said, and he acted accordingly. And from Job's life, what I'd like to do this morning is just share with you three truths about God you have to believe and have to act upon if you're going to survive Satan's attack against you and not only survive, but move forward in the plan that God has for your life. First of all, God is in control. Trust him. That's what Job did. Job believed that God was in control and he trusted him. Now, to believe that God is in control of the world in general or of your world specifically is not always easy. I mean, if God is really in control of your life, Why did God allow you to lose that job? If God is really in control of your life, why are you going through this financial difficulty? If God is really in control of your life, why did He allow this illness to strike you or a loved one? If God's really in control of your life, why did He take that loved one from you? It's very difficult to believe that God is in control. Job struggled with that. You know, it's... uh, After those great times of suffering, when Job had lost everything, that the enemy slithered up to him in the person of his wife and his three best friends and started to discourage Job. Job, if God is really in control of your life, why would he allow you to lose your possessions, your family, everything important to you? Job, maybe God doesn't care about you. Maybe God isn't interested in your life. Maybe God doesn't even exist. Don't be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, that the enemy doesn't launch those same kind of discouraging attacks in your life as well. How did Job respond to that? When he was at the very bottom, Job 42 verse 2, you know what he said? He said, God, I know you can do all things and no one can thwart your purpose. Joe believed that God was in control of his life. Joe believed that God had a plan for his life, even though that plan was hidden in the darkness. God is calling you, some of you today, to believe that he really is still in control of every part of your life. He's asking you to trust him because of that. There's a second truth that Job believed in and acted upon, and that is that God rewards the righteous, therefore obey Him. You know, that's another one of those truths that is invisible, and it's hard to believe at times, that God really rewards righteous people, and that it's really worth obeying Him. Again, we look around us and we say, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence for the fact that God treats righteous and unrighteous people any differently. mean, think about it. Unrighteous people contract cancer, and so do righteous people. Unrighteous people have trouble in their families, but so do righteous people. Unrighteous people die, but guess what? So do righteous people. So if there is no difference in how God treats the righteous and the unrighteous, where's the payoff for obeying God? Job wrestled with that. In fact, in Job 21 verse 17, he lamented, how often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Or how does their calamity fall on them? You know what he was saying? God, uh, why doesn't the wicked person suffer like I'm suffering right now? Uh, When are they going to get their comeuppance? What's the purpose of serving you if you're not going to treat me any differently than you treat the unrighteous? But in James five eleven, the half-brother of Jesus, as he wrote this letter, talked about the endurance of Job. Even though he had momentary doubts, and we all have them, Job persisted in obeying God because he had this hint, he had this belief, this persuasion, that there was going to be a payoff one day for his obedience to God. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never obey God completely or consistently unless you believe there's a reward someday for doing so. The good news is there is such a reward. Hebrews 11.6 says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. God rewards the righteous. Obey him. Third, Job believed that God's kingdom will prevail. Therefore, serve him. Abraham Lincoln said, I would rather fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. Lincoln was saying, I'd rather be a part of a team that is winning in the short run, but it's going to win in the long run, rather than to be a part of a team that's won the first half of the game, but ultimately is going to lose. Wouldn't you rather be that part of a team? A part of that kind of team? We want to be on the team that wins in the end. Sometimes it's hard to believe that we're on the winning side right now when we're serving God. I mean, after all, all of the evidence, again, seems to be to the contrary. Look around you. Doesn't it seem like Satan's kingdom is the kingdom that is winning right now? As Job sat on the ash heap and cataloged all of his losses, as he thought about his ten children that he loved just as much as you love your children, as he thought about all of his wealth that had evaporated, as he thought about and felt this terrible pain from the illness that had afflicted him, he started asking himself, Am I really on the right side in this deal? Again, you will never say no to the discouragement of the evil one until you believe that God's kingdom will prevail. But again, when Job was at the very bottom, when Job had sustained such terrible losses, remember what he cried out in faith in Job 19, verses 25 and 26? He said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will take a stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. In spite of the losses he had incurred, Job believed that Christ was coming back one day to establish his eternal kingdom on the earth. And Job said, I want to be a part of the winning team. You have to make that same choice today. You have to come to the point to decide whose side you're going to be on, which team you're going to play on, whose kingdom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the kingdom of God? Are you going to serve the kingdom of Satan and all the things of this world? It's one or the other. It can't be both. There's no room for neutrality in this battle. It's time for some of you this morning to quit hesitating and make up your mind about who and what you're going to serve. Some of you are double-minded in your pursuit in life. You want a little bit of God, but you want a little bit of this too, and you end up unsatisfied. Today, it's time to quit hesitating and to make up your mind. If money is your God, if the thought of making it, spending it, stacking it up on a pile and sitting on it, if that is what you think about and obsess about, why not go ahead and serve money with all of your heart? Quit trying to play like you love God and love money too. You can't do that. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. No man can serve God and man. If money is going to be the center of your affection, the word of God says, go ahead and serve money with all of your heart. Don't try to serve money and God. If your career is your God, if making a name for yourself, succeeding in your business, if that is your God, go ahead and give it everything you've got. Quit wasting time coming to church or on your family and feeling bad that you're not giving your job everything you could. If your job is your God, go ahead and serve it with all of your heart, not with just half a heart. If pleasure is your God, if that's really what you're about in life, trying to see how much pleasure you can extract out of life, quit putting these artificial inhibitions on, restrictions on. Quit saying, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that because I'm a more." Quit all that stuff. Go ahead and live the kind of life you really want to live. Give yourself to every type of immorality you want to give yourself to. Quit trying to serve pleasure and God. If coming to church is a drag for you, if you'd rather be out on the golf course or at a game or doing something else, quit making yourself miserable and all of us miserable as well. Just go ahead. Quit coming to church. Go where you want to do. Make pleasure your God. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? But if God is truly God, then serve Him with all of your heart. Not with half a heart. Serve Him with all of your heart, believing that one day His kingdom will be the one that prevails. What does it mean to hold up the shield of faith? It means to believe that God is going to do what He has promised to do and then acting accordingly. Holding up the shield of faith gives us the confidence to move forward in God's plan for our life by trusting, by obeying, by serving God. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, For the person who comes to God must first believe that he exists, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. When we hold up that shield of faith, Satan's forces don't stand a chance. And a Pathway to Victory, we've made it our mission to come alongside you with resources that equip you for winning the battle against our enemy. And today, I want to send you a resource that clearly teaches how to put on the full armor of God. So, before time runs out, be sure to request your copy of my best-selling book called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. In addition to teaching you how to deal with Satan, my book will answer some of your tough questions about the prince of darkness, demons, heaven, and hell. It also includes a number of thought-provoking, discussion-oriented questions to use in your small group Bible study. The deadline for requesting a copy of The Divine Defense is Monday, and it's yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In closing, let me remind you that your gifts, no matter what amount you choose to give, are truly making a difference. Every single day, we receive feedback from listeners and viewers who consider this program their spiritual lifeline. But we couldn't provide these daily visits by ourselves. You see, at Pathway to Victory, we're reliant on partners like you to empower us to push back the forces of evil in our country and our world. And we believe there's no better time to be engaged with our culture than right now, when the battle is raging and the stakes are high. Here's David
1: to explain how to get in touch with us today. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we're going to say thanks by sending you Dr. Jeffers' best selling book, The Divine Defense. To request your copy, call 866 999 2965 or simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when you invest in this ministry with a gift of $75 or more, you'll also receive the Divine Defense Teaching Set on CD and DVD. And this is the final week that we'll be offering these resources, so get in touch right away. To make your request, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. Now, if you'd prefer to write, jot down this mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Have you ever harbored doubts about God or salvation? Then you know what it's like to be under spiritual attack. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again Thursday for a message called The Helmet and the Sword. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.